where do you get your understanding of God from? Do you get it from just what you have observed in life, perhaps good or bad? Or do you get it from people that maybe you think they are authority figures or have something to say, a parent, a loved one, or even somebody who is a spiritual leader? Well, how would you feel if somebody took those same assumptions or those same inputs about you? If somebody had a bad interaction with you and they spread their takeaway from that bad interaction about you to everybody that asked about you, or perhaps just based on observation, what somebody assumed about you. In many ways, that is what our society does with our creator. Instead of going to him, it takes away what people take and what people assume and what they perceive about God. But in this video, we're going to learn what God has to say about himself and what those who have been in covenant relationship with him, which is a sacred relationship with him. We're going to see what their experiences were and what they have had to say. If this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris. And this is Foundation Bible Studies, where I seek to help connect you with your creator in Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially, so that way you can fulfill the purpose that you were created for. And so as we get into this, this is a continuation of our Search for Truth Bible Study series. I will link uh, the resource down below if it is something you would want to check out and purchase for yourself. And as we dive in, if you have any questions, comments, input, anything that you learn that may has that may have contrast uh, to what you learn in this, you know, let me know down below in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on the audio version of this. Uh, connect with me. I will link a I'll make a post on my social media pages on the social media pages and uh, leave me some comments on there and. If you're listening on the podcast, the audio version, uh, I, I ask that you would like, review it, or give some feedback, some type of feedback on the podcast itself. And so with that, let's dive in to the content. Now, the reason why this is so significant for me personally is because when the Lord Jesus started getting my attention, uh, now that I look back, hindsight is twenty twenty. they say, there was i had so many questions i had so many ideas my own ideas and thankfully i uh the lord connected me with uh, a guy who ended up becoming one of my best friends and then he can uh through this best friend of mine his name is john he took me uh to a bible study where i began to experience the lord for myself and began to experience uh the lord's feedback my questions and so having lessons like this really helps in kind of streamlining and getting some straightforward input instead of fragmented pieces which leads to our fragmented understanding of who and what god is so if you're listening on the audio format i encourage you to go back and check out the youtube channel as well there are some charts that you will be able to see uh as well as i'll read off the scriptures that um that are a part of the charts and part of the lesson that way you can go back and you can study and i encourage you go study read it get the context of the scriptures for yourself get a bible app uh audio bible something that will uh give you the opportunity to learn these things for yourself and to interact with these things for yourself 
So in the beginning, God, and that is the very first verse that we find within the Bible. The Bible is God's recorded history uh, and the, the recorded history of interactions of what God has done to bring things into creation, as well as how mankind got here, as well as how mankind has gotten into the mess it's in and how God is working to fix the mess that we've gotten ourselves in. And so in the beginning, God, this is the very first scripture that we uh, come across, the very first phrase we come across, in the beginning, God. And so God is the beginning of all things. He began all of creation before there was ever anything. There was God. And sometimes people ask the question, well, you know, who created God? And, and that's really a redundant question because if you ask that question, you have to realize how many times you're going to ask that question. Because if you ask who created God and there was somebody who, who did create God or being that did create God, then you got to say, well, who created that being? Who created that being? Or who created that God? And who created that God? And it's just a redundant cycle. But when you look and as we learn, and if you will give the Lord the place to help you to experience his personal being and presence, you yourself and you yourself will know that God is God. He is the highest being that there is. And so uh, everything begins with God. All of creation begins with God. Before there ever was anything, God was by himself. Before there was any physical material world or even other supernatural beings, God was by himself. And so in the beginning, God. And so one of the first things we learn about God is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we will dive deeper into these terms, but just briefly, when we talk about the heavens, we're talking about the sky as we understand it, outer space, but then also the supernatural dimension that God resides in. God is a higher dimensional being than we are just as much as if you were to create or you were able to draw a picture on a piece of paper a piece a piece of paper is two-dimensional anything you would create unless you're going to shade and all those things it's typically going to be a two-dimensional uh plane things may look 3d-ish but it still exists on a two-dimensional plane and so you creating whatever picture especially if you draw pictures of people or animals or whatever you exist on a higher dimensional plane because you can adjust whatever is in that picture at will and it is the same concept with god he is a higher dimensional being he is of a higher dimensional existence and he is able to interact and intervene within our dimensional our dimensions of existence at will and when needed and when petitioned according to his will so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God is the creator. The next thing we learn about God is that God is eternal. Now, that has a few different connotations, a few different aspects to it. One thing that means is that God is limitless. Uh, he has in within the bounds of his nature and character him being upright in all things him being pure in all things 
there are no limits to what his power cannot, what he cannot do. Uh, just think of somebody who had limitless physical strength, limitless knowledge and things like that. And these are aspects we're going to talk about uh, as well in this lesson. But he is eternal. There are no limits to him. But on a different aspect, this also talks about him being limitless in regards to his existence on the scale of time. For him, time is really irrelevant because he is the one who created the the concept of time. And uh, within the the science community, as best as I understand it, time is actually counted as a dimension. So time, you can only measure time by having things like the sun and the moon that you, you have some way to measure time itself. And so God, he exceeds the bounds of time because he created it he can look at when he first started putting things in place to measure time and then he can look all the way to whenever the measurement of time is no longer relevant or it just stops altogether and so god is limitless when it comes to the bounds of time he lives outside of the bounds of time uh, just as much as maybe if we had some type of world yet again maybe a 3d world and maybe time moves faster for them. You think of bugs and things like that. Some bugs, they only live a couple days, maybe some a few weeks. Time for them, it may seem to speed up. It may seem sped up. But for us, we can watch maybe like a butterfly. We can watch uh, the egg be hatched. We can watch it grow. We can feed it, watch it grow, uh, create a chrysalis or a cocoon, as we might say, but a chrysalis and then emerge into being a butterfly and then yet we can still watch it to go on uh, it lay its own eggs if it's able to do so and then die and so its time span is much shorter than that of a human's and yet we can sit back and we can watch all these things and and in a similar way that is kind of how we can see, understand god he can sit back and he can watch things play out um, and he stands outside of the bounds of time uh, as we understand it. And so God is eternal. And so one of the places that we read about God being eternal is in what is called the Book of Psalms. The Book of Psalms is a collection of uh, Middle Eastern poetry writings. The Bible uh, and the especially the Old Testament was written, written uh, from a Middle Eastern Israelite slash Jewish perspective. So it brings it brings concepts forward that especially if you're a Westerner such as myself, that you have to learn how to understand their concepts and ways of thinking. And so this is Psalm 90 verse two. And there are, I think, about 150 Psalms on the dot uh, within what we call the the canon, the 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 Bible. And so it says before the mountains were born or formed. Before you gave birth to the earth and the world, and like I said, this is using language that we're familiar with. This is not, uh, this is poetic wording and life experiences. They're writing from a life experience understanding. Before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Or from or some translations, which I, I like other translations as well, 
Uh, this is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, very clear um, on the English many times. But I'm a King James kid. I grew up uh, in my in my spiritual raising and maturity. I grew up on the King James Bible. Been living for the Lord since 2009 when I got baptized in Jesus' name. I had been filled with the Holy Spirit since I was about 10 or 11 experientially. And then over the years since the Lord saved me back in 2009, I've learned how to pray in the Spirit, how to connect with the Lord on the supernatural interactive level. And so in my spiritual infancy back in 2009 into my childhood, spiritual childhood, and wherever I'm at now, um, one of my favorite translation has been the King James Bible. And so I can understand it pretty well. But it says in this translation from E, from uh, everlasting to everlasting, you are God or from eternity to eternity. And what that means from the beginning of time to the end of time, you are God. The next aspect of God that we find out is that God is living. Now, when it talks about God is living, outside of revealing himself in the person of Jesus Christ, God does not have a permanent physical body. Leading up to Jesus, uh, revealing himself in Jesus Christ, he did not have a permanent physical body as we understand it. He did reveal himself numerous times in uh, different ways, such as uh, revealing himself to one person named Abram, whom he, who God later renamed Abraham. That's in the book of Genesis, starting from chapter 12 on. Uh, and in that situation, he revealed himself with a physical body, temporary body that he could physically interact with Abraham with. Then there are other times where he presents himself in a supernatural form, in a supernatural body um, to places or to people such as Moses. When Moses, uh, God through Moses brings the Israelites out of being enslaved to the nation of Egypt. And when they get to Mount Sinai, a place called Mount Sinai, God reveals himself in a supernatural body, both to Moses, his brother Aaron, Aaron's two oldest sons, Nadab and Abihu, and all of the elders of Israel, which is phrased the 70 elders of Israel. But it is a Hebraic way, a Jewish way of saying all the elders of Israel, because the number seven is seen as a number of completion and then you add the the 10 to it and it's just encompassing all the elders of israel whether it was a physical 70 and those were all the elders or it's just encompassing all the elders anyway point being is that god revealed himself in a supernatural body and that is in exodus chapter 24 and it says that moses aaron aaron's sons and all the elders they physically saw the individual, the individual God of Israel, of the nation and of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, their ancestors, the one that God had made a covenant with. And so he is living in the sense of he is a being that interacts with us. He has sentience. He has consciousness. Uh, but he is on, as I said, a higher dimensional plane of living. And so he is able to interact. He is able to see, to hear, is able to intervene. Um, and as we get to understand God's character, as we build our relationship with him and get to understand him from 
his written word, uh, we get to know how real God is. And so one of the places that this is stated is in the writings of one of God's prophets. His name is Daniel. And in the sixth chapter, Daniel is under the he is under the rule of a medial Persian king. And the king's name is Darius. And some people have plotted to to betray Daniel because Daniel was a very godly man. He was very prayerful and Daniel put his God's commands over the commands and God's principles and ways, his God's principles and ways over everything else. The people he lived around, he was kicked out of his land because the nation of Israel had rebelled against God in wickedness and perversity and in rebellion. And so there are a group of leaders under Daniel that are, or, or maybe alongside Daniel, that don't like Daniel because of who he is, because of who he represents, what he represents, how he lives his life. And they deceive the king to put in into play a law that says you cannot petition any other God except the king for 30 or 90 days, whatever it was. And so Daniel was one of the king's most trusted advisors. It uh, Eventually it gets found out that Daniel is praying to his God in spite of what the law says. Uh, in spite of the law that gets put into play, the king throws Daniel into a pit of hungry lions. It was a form of punishment. They would uh, get the lions to where they had not eaten and they were hungry. And so this was the punishment for breaking the law and the law cannot be changed once it was put into place. So Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. That's where the story comes from, Daniel and the lion's den. And God preserves him. And when you read through the story in Daniel 6, it's a great story, great historical account. Um, go back and read it. But God sends an angel, shuts the mouths of the lion. They don't harm Daniel. And when the king comes to check in on Daniel, he had been in there overnight. And the king had been praying and fasting through the night for Daniel. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel and the God of the biblical church protects Daniel. And the king is in awe. And this is his response. He says, I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. And so the king, this pagan king, because this pagan king, Darius, he worshiped other gods. He says that the God of Daniel, who was a Jewish individual, he was from the uh, he was from the tribe of Judah, if I can remember correctly. He, this pagan king Darius, Darius sometimes is pronounced by certain uh, groups. Maybe in the original language, it's pronounced Darius, but it says he is the living God. He is the God who intervenes. He is the God who interacts. He is the God who hears. Is the God who takes action. Now, continuing on and in, in talking about God seeing and hearing, uh, Peter, who is one of Jesus's chief disciples, especially in our first century, he is one of what is called the 12 apostles. Apostles are ambassadors. When you go back and you look at historical context of that title for the Roman Empire, and um, an apostle was an ambassador of the empire. And so Jesus says they were apostles, these 12 individuals that he handpicked. 
were apostles of his kingdom, of his growing his growing empire uh, in the supernatural dimension right now and then in, in the physical when Jesus returns. And so Peter is like what I like to term is the chief apostle. And he is encouraging these Christians that he's writing to because they're going through persecution, heavy persecution. And so this is what he says about God taking notice of their situation. He says, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, on the upright, according to God's measurement of what is right. And his ears are open to their request. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So Peter says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their request. So God is living. He hears and he sees. But then God is also in outstanding in opposition of those who do what is evil. Now, God may not always act when we expect him to act and how we expect him to take action. But just know that when we're doing what is right, God knows and he's going to hold everybody accountable for their actions. He's trying to give them time to turn from their evil ways. But in the process of time, they will be held accountable for their actions. And so we find that God is a living being. And so the next concept or aspect about God that we learn about is that God is omnipresent. Now, that word omni is going to come up uh, two more times after this aspect of God. And the word omni is a prefix. It means all or all encompassing. Um, and so God being omnipresent means he is always present and he is present in each and every place and each and every moment of time. And what that means is like if you lived in an underwater world uh, where water was present in all places at all times, or we live here on land and for the most part, typically air is in all places at all times. And so just to kind of give you an understanding without being too hyper literal, but God is omnipresent, even though now, what that does not mean is that he is always making his presence known and felt, because when you feel the presence of God, you know he is there. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean that it's not there. And we'll get into more uh, analogies in a bit. But God is omnipresent. Now, another one of God's messengers or prophets, as we call them, his name is Jeremiah. He is living in the time that is leading up to Daniel's time where the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, they are rebelling against Yahweh. They are rebelling against Jehovah. This is that's God's name. If you're unaware of it, um, that is the name that he revealed about himself. And it's a descriptive name. It's a name that means the one who lives, the one who exists. And he reveals that to Moses in the book of Exodus. I believe it's in chapter three. And so talking and talking about God being omnipresent, this is what the Lord reveals about himself to Jeremiah. He says, can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? This is the Lord's declaration. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. In other translations where it says the Lord's declaration, it says, says the Lord or saith the Lord, King James Version. In another place, and this is one of my favorite Psalms, uh, this is King David writing, 
Um, he is one of the greatest kings of the nation of Israel historically. And just to, just a reminder that the Bible is written history. There are always new archaeological uh, evidences that are being found that prove the Bible to be accurate. People try to discredit it, but they only discredit it from conjecture and slander. They cannot discredit it from archaeological evidence and fact. Um, even history, historic, the, the prophecies that God brings forth, uh, the prophecies that God gives, the foretelling of future events, even those continue to prove how accurate God is in his knowledge. Talking about that time and space, that eternality, him being eternal. But here in Psalm 139, it says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Talking about God being omnipresent, always present at all times. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you were there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. And so we find out by people's experiences and by God's own declaration by him informing us, he says that he is in all places at all times. There's no place a person can hide that God is not there and cannot see and cannot hear. And then King David, who God had raised up, had developed from being a lowly shepherd to being one of the greatest kings of the nation of Israel, he says, where can I go from your presence? He had to, he was put on the run many times from the previous king that had rebelled against the Lord. And even in being uh, chased out of his homeland, David being chased out of his homeland to the land of foreigners and people that worshiped other gods, even there, the Lord worked on his behalf. And you see this throughout the Bible as God works on behalf of his covenant people, those who are in covenant with him, uh, both in the Old Testament as well, especially, I would say, in the New Testament. And so God is omnipresent. The next aspect we find out about God is that God is omnipotent. Now, God being omnipotent, remember that word omni is all and potent. Uh, I think of I working in the medical field, the health, mental health field, uh, have to um, give out medications. We call them med pass, but I give medications to our patients or historically did. And um, we talk about the potency. How powerful is that medication? Is is the dosage too powerful? Is it too potent? Do we did the doctor need to cut the dosage? And as uh, I am a psychiatric technician, licensed psychiatric technician, and then I am one class away from gaining my bachelor's in psychology. And so, and I bring that up because we would have to look at a doctor's orders for a patient's new medication, and we would have to. As psychiatric technicians, we would have to look at the order and see, okay, does does the dosage amount look like a normal dosage amount? Did he write, does it look like a very high dosage amount? Does the dosage amount look too low? So essentially, is it going to overpower? Is it going to be overpowering for the patient? Is it a, a amount that's going to be um, what we call a, have a therapeutic effect? Is going to have the right effect on the patient that the doctor is intending? Or is the, the amount, the power of the medication, the amount 
the dosage is it too low and it's not going to have its intended effect because there's not enough it's like not maybe like not drinking too much not drinking enough water when you're already dehydrated or not drinking enough water just in general versus drinking too much water and then coming under water intoxication from diluting your elect your electrolytes and so god is omnipotent he is all powerful and so one of the places we find this is yet again in the writings of king david or these are the chronicles and this is telling us about king david and here david has uh put out the request from the nation as a whole that anybody who was willing that they would have anything to donate for the building of God's temple that he was planning for. And so after all the, the all those who were willing brought their offerings for the temple that he was that God was going to have King David's son Solomon build for him, this is his praise and expression of praise of appreciation of and to God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 12 it says Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And so here David is saying, he says that the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Hashem, Adonai, that it is in God's hand to give power and to make great to give power. He says, power and might are in your hand. Remember, Middle Eastern expression. And so this is talking about, you know, you use your hands for expressing and moving and things like that. So he says, power and might are in your hand. They're in your control. And it is in his hand, God's control and power to make a person great and to give strength to everyone. And so God is omnipotent. Another place we read about this is in the book of Revelation, and this is at the return of the Lord in Jesus Christ. And this is those who have been saved, those who have been born again of water and spirit, those who are waiting in the heavens, who have been waiting in the heavens, who have passed on. And this is the moment of Jesus' return, and this is their praise. Uh, of the event that is taking place, the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. And so that word for almighty is a synonym for omnipotent, almighty, all powerful. And so those who are praising God as he is returning to the earth, they say hallelujah, which is a expression, a, a, a Hebraic expression of praise, which means hallelujah is praise. It's a type of praise. And then yah or jah, as we see here, but it is a uh, in Hebrew is hallelujah, praise Yah. It's a shortened form of Yahweh. So praise Yahweh, which Jesus Christ is Yahweh, made visible, revealed, revealing himself in human identity. So hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. And this is at the establishing of God's physical rule over the world. His rule his kingdom 
And so we learn that God is omnipotent. The next one of the omnis is omniscient. And this means that God has all knowledge. He is aware of all things at all times. And so we go to the book of Job. This is is not pronounced Job if you're seeing it on screen. It's Job, Middle Eastern pronunciation, Hebraic pronunciation. Chapter 34, verse 21. And really, in Hebrew, it's Eov. Um, but it comes over into English, transliterated as Job. And so in chapter 34, verse 21, it says, For his eyes, talking about the Lord, for his eyes watch over a man's ways, and he observes all his steps. And so the Lord is able to see all the ways that we're heading, where it's going to end up, which God tries to intervene if we're not going down a good path. Or he gives us strength if we're going down a path he wants us to go down, but it's difficult. And it says he observes all his steps. And writing to the Christians in the city of Rome, first century Rome, um, and talking about all the things God has done to reconcile all of mankind, Jews and non-Jews, or Jews and Gentiles, as we call, as we are called. And this is part of the Apostle Paul, the Ambassador Paul, the Apostle Paul's praise of God for God's wisdom and mighty acts. In Romans, the letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment. I don't know if you're familiar with the old school DuckTales show. I'm not too sure about the newer one, but there was an old cartoon that I watched when I was a kid, and it was called DuckTales, and there was this Uncle Scrooge, and he had this vault of money, and he would, uh, in the introductory scenes, he would be swimming in this vault of money. It was gold coins, and so that is what I imagine when Paul talks about, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God is that God's wisdom is so vast that we can try to ask him for wisdom and understanding and we will never, we will never get to the bottom of it. It is, it is our little limited minds will never be able to plumb the depths. It will never be able to get to the ends or to the the edges of God's wisdom and knowledge. And so God is omniscient. And so the next aspect we learn about God is that God is a spirit. Now this goes back to that point of being extra dimensional. When we talk about when we are trying to describe God, we're trying to describe God in ways that one, he himself helps us to understand and that two, that people that have interacted with God, how they describe that interaction. And so we find that God is a spirit. And so I want to hit the scriptures first before I try to get into some comparisons. And so Jesus Christ himself, in his human identity, not coming from his divine identity and nature and perspective, he says that God is a spirit because the spirit of God is the one that birthed him or caused his conception as well as the Spirit of God continued to live in him, which is what makes him God. It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him, those who worship God, must worship him in spirit and 
fruit. And then when we go to the second verse found within the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so between what God reveals to Moses to write, Moses having experienced God's direct presence himself, and then what Jesus Christ himself says is that God is spirit. And so when we talk about God being spirit, it's much like trying to, uh, it's much like the wind because the Hebrew and the Greek words, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament was written in Greek. The both words can have different, different aspects, much like we're talking about the different aspects of God. But one of the things with the Hebrew and Greek words is it could be used for spirits and it could be used for winds. It could be used for uh, winds blowing. And so when you interact with the wind or when the wind is blowing, you can feel the effect of the wind, especially if it's a nice breeze. You feel the effect. If there's trees around, you might see the, the branches swing, the leaves blowing, uh, swing with the wind. But then, of course, you can have a really bad just maybe windstorm and you see the trees just really swaying back and forth. And so God's presence is much like that. Uh, him being a spirit is much like that in regards to you can feel the presence of God. You can feel it. And when you get in the presence of God, it is the most ex the greatest experience you will ever have. And not just a one time experience, but every time. And so you can feel the effects of God or you can feel the effects. You can feel the wind blowing, but you cannot capture it in a jar. You can hold a jar you know, outside while the wind is blowing. And you can't capture the wind to where you can put a top on the jar and it's going to swirl around in there. But you can feel the effects of the wind, but you cannot grasp it. You cannot hold it in one place. And it's much like that with the presence of God. You can feel God's presence. And that's why being filled with the Holy Spirit is so impactful and important. You want to have God living inside of you because from the inside out, he begins to change you. And so in order to really interact with God the way God wants us to, we have to be filled experientially with his spirit and we have to learn how to connect with God consistently on that level. And this is why being part of the church God wants you at is so important, a spirit-filled church. I am Pentecostal. Um, and when we set our minds and hearts on connecting with the Lord together in our praise and our worship, just the presence of God sweeps in there and uh, and it moves in and it lifts us if we're dealing with burdens and just heavy things It lifts our spirits. It helps us to carry those things. Um, it renews our perspective. It, it's just a mind blowing thing, something you got to experience for yourself. And so we have to worship God in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. He is supernatural. He is a supernatural being. He is a above natural being. And so you want to connect with him the way he says you connect with him. Tradition won't do only doing things the way God instructs us to do them, following his lead. God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so God is a spirit. The next thing we learn about God is that God is one. 
He is one individual, indivisible or undividable being. Now, this stands in the face and in the contrast of what historical Christianity has taught, traditional Christianity, but Christianity came out from Jewish roots, from a Jewish grounding, a Jewish foundation. When you look at what Jews believe about God, how they understand the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, they understand him to be one individual, one individual being, if I can put it that way, as expansive as he is. But he is an individual just like you. He has an individual personality. He has thoughts. He has emotions, all these aspects we've talked about so far. But he is one. And so one of the most important scriptures, the most important scriptures, a uh, scripture or point or concept when it comes to the Jewish people is this scripture right here, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. And this is what is this is what is called the Shema for the Jews. Now, this is um, this is just kind of the headliner for the whole set of scriptures that they use. Um, it goes Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 or 2, 9. And then it jumps over to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And then there is a portion in Numbers 15 um, that that they recite every morning and every night. And so here, this is called the Shema, the beginning of it. And it says, listen, Israel. And it's called the Shema because of how it's said in Hebrew. The, the word for listen in Hebrew is Shema. And so it's listen, Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. I, I, I'm really, like I said, I'm really used to the King James. And the King James, I always love the way it sounds just because maybe it, King James is very poetically written. It's style. It has style to his writing as well as it, they strove for uh, accuracy of word for word translation as much as possible. And in the King James, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the word for listen is not just hearing with your ears, but listen with the intent, with the intent to live by it, to implement it in your life. So listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we're going to find out that this is the same thing that Jesus Christ himself said was the most important commandment. Jesus is a Jew. He was historically, if we're going to talk about in the historical sense, when he walked on the earth, he is of Jewish ethnicity, Jewish. He was uh, born into the Jewish people. He was raised by devout Jews. He was born under the covenant of the law. And so when he is being challenged by the religious leaders of his people and of his day, and this is what we find out. It says, one of the scribes approached, when, which a scribe was one of the religious leaders, uh, one of the types of religious leaders of his day. It says, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is most important of all? And this is Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28 to verse 29. I'll read it again. It says, one of the scribes approached, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Now, most of the time when people read this, they read it from a different gospel and different gospels are written to different audiences, such as Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Mark is written for 
a Roman Gentile audience. And then Luke is written for more of a Greek minded Gentile audience. And the Gospel of John, John wrote his gospel more for the church and in helping them to understand how Jesus is Yahweh, how he is God, and, and to combat the false claims of a group called the Gnostics. And so each each gospel has its nuances to why it's written that way, why certain things aren't emphasized, why certain things aren't included for the and it's for the audience's sake, whoever their audience was. Um, they wanted to emphasize certain things that maybe other points were taken for granted. And so here, Mark is writing for a Gentile, a Roman Gentile audience, and um, and he is emphasizing the points they need to understand in order not to confuse it with their historical pagan background. And so what is Jesus' response? In verse 29, this is the most important, Jesus answered. What does he say? Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you read some of the other gospels, it's going to emphasize uh, the following, the aspects of the scripture that follow right under Deuteronomy 6 and 4, which is 6 and 5, which you'll find in the gospel of Matthew, which says, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so, but Jesus goes straight to the header. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And he's not talking about a composite one. He's talking about a one, a one, one. People will say that word for one in Hebrew is a composite one. Like when a husband and wife uh, get married, they become one flesh. But if you learn Hebrew, which I have been in the process of learning, if you learn Hebrew, it's Echad, it's hear, O Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai our God, Adonai Echad, the Lord is one. That word for one, yes, it can mean a composite unity such as one family unit or one car which has many parts. But when you learn to count in Hebrew, it is just like counting one, two, three, four, five. I have one penny, I have one individual penny. It's not a composite of whatever. It's one individual penny or one individual pencil. In the same way, in Hebrew, it's echad, shnei, shtaim, arba, chamesh, shesh, I think is six. And so echad is number one, if you're counting in Hebrew, echad, shnei, shtaim. Um, and so here, Jesus says this is the most important commandment. The Lord is one. He is one individual being in contrast to all the, the plethora of gods, the polytheistic systems of other, of other people groups, of other tribes. So God is one. And then the last point we'll talk about in this lesson is God is our father. Now, this can be a hard one to deal with for some people, I understand, because many of us don't grow up with fathers around. or And, and so because of that, we don't understand, um, we don't have good concepts of fathers, or perhaps we had absent but not present fathers in the sense of they were not active in our lives, or perhaps we had bad, abusive fathers, verbally, mentally, physically, whatever it is. I will tell you from personal experience, 
I did not have a solid concept of a father. I had good male figures around um, in my life, my my stepdad and and my uncles and my godfather while he was still living. But to have the concept of a father is that's a whole different. You have to have that person in that role living there day to day, day in, day out. You get to see them in their good and in their bad. You you see how they interact with you. They're supposed to help you build you up into the adult, the young adult and the adult that you're meant to be, the child, the teen or preteen teen. They're supposed to be there. And so many of us don't have a good concept of a father. Some of our fathers, like I said, they were abusive. They were disregarding. They were not present. They were not active. And so this can be a hard one to swallow. I totally get it. And the Lord has helped me through the years um, and getting a much better concept of what it means, what it means for him to be our father. Now, one aspect of him being our father is he is just the father of creation. And what that means is just like the father of a child, say in a natural sense, or even you want to go in the ways of in vitro fertilization, you still have to get the seed from a male. And so what that entails is that the person came into being, their origin comes from that male, whoever the male is, whoever the father is. The egg of the woman does not just produce a child on its own. It needs to be fertilized by the seed of the male. And so creation comes about because God is the originator. So God is the father of creation. He is the originator of creation. And so that is one aspect when we're talking about God as our father. He is the originator of creation. Now, when you get down to humanity, he is also the originator of humanity. He caused mankind to come into being first through Adam and Eve. And when God created Adam and Eve, they were perfect in their nature. There were no flaws. There was no issues until Adam and Eve fell into what is called sin until they until they entered into the condition of sin or error or rebellion by rebelling against God and and introducing a nature a condition of sin into their bodily nature which separated them from on the spiritual aspect from God but God is our originator he is our creator and so because of that he is our father in that regard and so Malachi, he is another Jewish prophet, another prophet of the Lord that the Lord handpicked and that the Lord gives messages to that individual and then tells them to go deliver that message to whoever he wants the message to be delivered to. And so here uh, we find Malachi addressing some societal issues. And so he says this in the gospel, or not the gospel. But in the writings of the prophet Malachi, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Remember, he's our father because of creation. He, we, we have our origin because of God. Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And that's talking about their natural fathers, their uh, Abraham. Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and then Jacob's 12 sons and you can find that within the book of Genesis as you keep reading through and then the apostle Paul he brings the same point forward to new covenant believers because 
in order to be in the fullness of relationship that the Lord wants you in, we have to follow Jesus's instructions, who was the only begotten son of God. He is the only human being in, in his human identity. Jesus Christ is the only human being ever conceived by the spirit of God. Jesus Christ's conception was supernaturally started by the spirit of God. And so when we are reborn or born again into God's family by way of water and spirit, being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled experientially with God's spirit, then we enter into God's family in the supernatural. and We take on the name of the family, which is Jesus Christ. And so here he is writing to believers in the city of Ephesus in chapter four of his letter or what we titled chapter four. It says that there is one God and father of all talking to the believers, talking to the Christians. There is one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all talking about the born again believers. There is one God and father of all. And so the apostle Paul, he brings forward what Malachi was talking about in regards to God being our father, being our originator. And when we are born again, God becomes our father and, and in an even closer manner. And then through our relationship with him, our day-to-day -day relationship with him, going through the tough times with him, we get to see how powerful he is. We get to see how much he cares when we learn to spend that time with him through prayer. And we're bringing our frustrations to him. We're bringing our hurts to him and even expressing some of our misunderstandings, uh, not, not necessarily all the time between us and another person, but just some of the ways in which we misunderstand or we don't understand what the Lord is doing, bringing those things to him in prayer. And he begins to, we get to understand how he speaks to us on an individual basis. As we are staying connected to the church he wants us at, uh, we get to see how he speaks to us through the messages that he gives his ministers. We get to know God as our father. And as we get to know God as our father, especially for us men, it helps us to learn how to be better fathers. And so in the beginning, God, God is the creator. He is eternal. He is living. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. Let me cover those again. He is omnipresent. He's always present. He is omnipotent. He has all power. There are no limitations to him within the bounds of his nature and character. And he is omniscient. He knows everything. He is aware of everything. God is a spirit. He is an extra dimensional being. He is a spirit. He is, he is only uh, able to, we're only able to interact with him by him in your, interacting with us such as us interacting with a 2D figure on a piece of paper or us learning how to connect with him on his level or his dimension of existence, which is through the supernatural, through our spirit. God is an individual being. He is one. He is uh, individual one. He is uh, not a plurality of individuals, a plurality of persons. Through the different aspects, God is our father by creation he is the father of creation he's the origin of creation he is the origin of mankind 
and when we are reborn or born again into his family born of water and spirit as jesus said he becomes our father on an even deeper level and so i know that was a lot to take in i want to take these lessons and i want to really dive in because the typical way these lessons go if i was teaching a home bible study we would go through them uh, the first time on a very surface level and then there's the option once we go through it on the surface level introductory level we can go back through them and go even deeper but i'm sure that will become very redundant so we just want to take these lessons and just take a deep dive chart by chart if we need to as we go through each lesson and so with all this information what is your feedback what are your thoughts what what did you learn that you did not previously know maybe something that you learned that uh, maybe you had a different understanding about previously what are some things that you learned that uh, maybe you learned just by living an observation and as i said in the the best way to know how real god is is to experience him yourself in and through the person of jesus christ and if that is something you you want to experience for yourself um because this that's really how uh much of our faith is deepened in god is through those experiences and knowing how real he is and it's biblical you see it throughout especially in the new testament you see it in the old testament too god supernaturally revealed himself to the nation of israel and that's how god continued to reveal himself everywhere the church went preaching throughout the scriptures is he would reveal himself through supernatural signs wonders miracles and then jesus said that we are to be reborn or born again of his spirit and the apostle peter said that the promise of the spirit in the same way that him and the first 120 received it that that promise was for his generation the generation following and to as many as the lord god would call so he is still calling inviting people today so that promise is for you if you want more information on what it means to be born again you can you can connect with me on the social media pages i'll also leave a playlist right here and until the next video may you allow the lord to lead you guide you shape you mold you give it a thumbs up subscribe to the channel share it and i will see you in the next video god bless you in jesus name